one minute while I get this fired up. And good morning, Doobie listeners. It is me, Adam Venrick, here with another episode of The Coffee Hour, brought to you by The Doobie. Uh, This week I had the pleasure of sitting down with uh, not one, not two, not four, but three people um, for a really incredible, beautiful conversation about uh, hunger, poverty, uh, libraries, the schools, public funding for nutrition for children. It was, I'm, I'm running out of things to to say. We talked about a wide variety of things. Um, I had the pleasure this week of sitting of sitting down with Team Vittles, one of Central Ohio's uh, wonderful food-based volunteer services. They uh, are a librarian coalition, if you will, trying to get uh, food for underprivileged children in both public libraries and school libraries. It was a really eye-opening conversation uh, for me. Uh, as a college student, as a college student at Denison, to learn about food insecurity in Licking County and even at the school that I attend and what's being done to uh, to to deal with it, to work with it. Um, this was a wonderful group of people. It was a really beautiful conversation, and I don't see any point in uh, beating around the bush, so... Let's just get to it. Here is Team Vittles. Hello, Doobie listeners. It is Sunday, February the 2nd of 2020, and that is a palindrome date. I am sitting here in the mindfulness room at Denison University, and with me are the most guests I have ever had in a single sitting. Yay, I'm Sarah. (laughs) I'm Greg. I'm Shane. Uh, Sarah Schaff, Greg Gassman, Shane Hoffman. Hoffman, I'm so sorry. Uh, and they are members of Team Vittles. Team Vittles. <laughs> so, for our listeners at home, we are here talking about food insecurity in Ohio, and I guess all over the place technically, mm-hmm. um, and what's being done to combat it. Mm-hmm. So, um, the three of you work for a food insecurity group called Team Vittles. What is Team Vittles? Well, Team Vittles is a group of librarians that started about, what, three years ago? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that libraries are good partners because of the Summer Food Service Program, which is a program that builds off of the National School Lunch Program mm-hmm. to give kids who might not otherwise get a meal in the summer the opportunity to have a warm meal. Yeah. And libraries tend to work that in with their summer reading program, and we wanted to go out and make sure more libraries knew about those and other programs. And just make it easy for them to participate. Yeah, and we, we keep growing from there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, the word mission creep comes to mind. That's, that's almost kind of our mantra at times. <laughs> it's our motto. We say, well, yes, we're librarians. We have this focus on libraries how can we help other organizations Mm -hmm. so you know there's there is a librarian core but also just the nature of a librarian is to be a resource for the community Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of naturally outward facing and then seeing you know there's the summer food service program which is a great fit that libraries haven't always been taking full advantage of 
increasingly so they are. The stats from, from Ohio are encouraging mm -hmm. um, every year. The participation is improving. Um, over 10% of summer food service program sites now are in libraries because mm -hmm. they're places that kids have access to um, during the summer when their schools aren't around and those school lunches that they would normally get at their schools aren't at the schools, so they go to, can go to the libraries. It used mm -hmm. to be no food in the libraries, and now it's please come to the libraries and get your food. <laughs> you um, so things. it really has been a, a shift yeah. in librarian culture, and so that's been something that we've kind of been you know preaching to our fellow librarians. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, as we as we learn about these different programs and make these connections to promote and just have people be aware of what all is going on and how you can get involved, um, we want to spread that knowledge and that information yeah. um, out. You know, one, our tagline is kind of the educating, advocating, networking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as as we work for food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and as Jean used to put it, we kind of. Um, you know, connect all the dots in food insecurity and mm -hmm. all the programs going on to help in, in food insecurity situations. So free meals, also just, you know, helping with markets and connecting people to food in their different areas. So it's bringing all those disparate elements together in the ways that we can. And of course, we focus on libraries because that's where we are. So all three of you are librarians are. or currently librarians? Well. <laughs> Great. I was currently a librarian when I started. <laughs> um, I now actually sell uh, components for industrial automation for a company I won't tell you the name of. But uh, yes, um, I do have. We yeah. yes, we're we're all librarians in in varying um, forms. Yes, you know, some of us have the degrees, some of us don't. Some of us have long term library experience. We all are. Absolutely. library connected and we should mention there's two other members of this team Kate and Gina who aren't with us mm -hmm. today but of course yes. they're here as well and then we also have Janet another librarian at the State Library of Ohio wonderful yeah um, so I want to backtrack real quick sure. um, we're talking about food insecurity today yes. uh, just for our listeners at home who might not know how would you define food insecurity so food insecurity is essentially not knowing where your next meal is coming from it's not being able to get enough food over a certain time period um, to be able to maintain yourself in a healthy manner. So that could be skipping meals here and there. It could mean that you have periods of time throughout the year where you um, essentially don't know uh, what kind of groceries you're gonna have in your house, what kind of food you have access to. And the numbers of families that are food insecure in the U.S. is really staggering. Mm -hmm. And it has not gotten better over the last 50 years, which is as long as we've been basically keeping stats on this since the 50s and 60s mm -hmm. is when the USDA started keeping statistics. So when we think about food insecurity, we're thinking of the entire gamut from somebody who doesn't have any food in the house until they get paid on Friday to um, somebody who just has to skip a meal here and there because there's just not enough to go around. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's also the consideration of, you know, there are also cases where you know you know that you've got the bag of rice in your back room that you can always you know throw mm -hmm. in the pot of boiling water, but you know you're still worrying about food constantly because you yes. know that that's not going to let you live your life in a healthy way and that's going to increase your medical costs down the road because you're not getting that proper nutrition. Yeah. Um, so you know there is an aspect of quality that's also um, considered. Um, so it's 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 a complicated thing and it's a daily thing yeah. for everyone, which is part of what makes it complicated because it impacts everyone every day, not necessarily the, you know, you may not worry about food all day yourself, mm -hmm. but you know, every day you come across people who do, and mm -hmm. you may not realize it as you go about your business because it's not something that people tend to advertise when they're worried about making ends meet in that very fundamental way. Yeah, there's such a stigma about it. That was something we were talking about earlier. It's just the stigma that is associated with simply not having enough. 
is so huge and it really prevents people from talking about it openly and finding help openly. And mm -hmm. as Greg alluded to, you know, food insecurity has led to a whole host of other issues. You know, we've got with children, behavioral issues in schools. Um, we've got lots of lowered health outcomes. Um, those are really, you know, the research is just starting, but you can really see later in life, food insecure households have incredibly plummeting rates of any kind of, of healthy living. Mm -hmm. So higher rates of cancer, higher rates of heart disease, higher rates of obesity, higher rates of diabetes, all of those are tied to food insecurity at the core. So it's a really important issue to kind of dive in and deal with. And then, of course, you have this problem of, I don't want anybody to know that, you know, I'm embarrassed about this entire issue. And, and that prevents people from starting to find help. And plus, yeah, there are decreased educational outcomes, because yeah. as they say, hungry kids can't learn. Mm -hmm. yep. It leads to higher incarceration rates. Yeah, that's a crazy one. Absenteeism mm -hmm. and lowered productivity at work afterwards. I, it's just, it's just this big blob of a monster that swallows everything about yeah, your it, life. It's Absolutely. Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, if, if those basic, if that basic need isn't being met on a daily basis, then you just naturally just, you, you have to prioritize that above mm -hmm. other things. And so that draws away from every other facet of your life, mm -hmm. be it education, be it health, be it anything else that you would use to enrich your life um, and enrich your community, really. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a drag um, yeah. in a very literal sense yeah. on just society as a whole and it's difficult um, because as we said people don't always want to talk about it and so people say like you know oh if someone's hungry you know I'll help them mm -hmm. well you don't always know when someone's hungry you very frequently don't know when someone's hungry especially mm -hmm. when they're not just hungry but they aren't quite sure how they're going to resolve that mm -hmm. um, going forward yeah. and so the problem is often not as visible as many others mm -hmm. um, so it's how do we draw attention to that problem? How do we draw attention to the possible solutions? Because when the problem is invisible, then people don't think as actively about how do I help with that? They just kind of figure, well, you know, it, it's apparently getting done well enough. You know, like, you know, I don't see, you know, um, skeletal people walking around <laughs> Central Ohio generally. Um, you know, at, in some areas of Ohio, it, it is like you know something that people know about, like the recent um, Heisman speech. Like, yeah. you know, people know the Appalachia. Yeah is um, suffering, um, and th there is certainly that. There are food deserts that we know about, but also there's just that individual need in every person that, you know, in the richest neighborhood, you can find someone who has mm -hmm. their nice apartment, and inside all the furniture is plastic because that's all they can afford. Right. Um, that's, you know, one of our other members, Kate, has told us um, as, a, as an example before yeah. that she's come across. Um, you know, it's just that, that sense of pride and that not wanting to show that you're struggling. Um, and the way to resolve that is not so much to, you know, force people like, hey, you know, tell me that you're food insecure. So Come I can get you, you know, all, yeah. that, all that good data. <laughs> no, it, it's, you know, how do we bring the tools that give you food security, most fundamentally mm -hmm. food, but also, you know, prep equipment, things like that, to have that food ready and to have that ability to actually, you know, receive that nutrition in your community. How do we bring that to you? It's a logistical. Yeah. Problem. One of the interesting circular pieces of that is that when an eligible family doesn't apply for free and reduced price lunches mm -hmm. at school, mm -hmm. since that is what they use for summer meals and after school meals, yeah. you have to have a certain percentage of accepted applications in your school in order to qualify for summer and after school uh -huh. meals, mm -hmm. which is a way to get reimbursed for providing those meals. 
but then when people through either pride mm -hmm. or lack of awareness don't apply for that it takes that eligibility away and, and then other people who need that mm -hmm. just they don't have those resources available to them in those other times and yeah and one thing I should mention just for our audience <clears throat> sake when you um, when you're looking for numbers uh, poverty numbers free and reduced price lunch numbers national school lunch program several food service all of those are relying on a family to report their income to an mm -hmm. outside source and that's the first barrier that a lot of people hit if they feel any sort of stigma they're like well I don't want my personal information being reported on this form, but it's so necessary to keep these programs going because they won't know what the need is otherwise. Mm -hmm. So there's this huge disconnect that's completely based on stigma and just doesn't help people. Well, and it's interesting you would bring that up, Sarah, because yeah. I was actually going to quote from a tweet that you retweeted this morning <laughs> about the stigma around food insecurity. Absolutely. I'm glad that you guys covered it first so I didn't have to quote a tweet. Ah. Uh, so instead, <laughs> let, me, let me bring this up. Um, Recently, there's been some coverage about school lunch debts in the news, mm -hmm. how certain schools are even turning to collections agencies to go and mm -hmm. harass the children and the families of the children who mm -hmm. can't afford a hot lunch. Um, what do you see as being the, the long-term effects of this? Well, first, mm -hmm. I don't know if our, our audience could hear, but there was um, the sound of eye rolling on this topic. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's good. <laughs> first and foremost, just to get that out. Right, right, right. But what do we see? I think the, yeah. the solution when we really think about these things, you really need to ask the question, what's the point, mm -hmm. right? And when you see school districts that are getting involved with things that are so clearly lunch shaming, mm -hmm. they're really missing the point. So I think you need to address what the mission is at that point. So, all right, you've got an educational mission. You know hungry kids can't learn. You've got a cafeteria with mm -hmm. an industrial kitchen in it. Mm -hmm. Seems pretty clearly that the point should be to feed the children. And so, you know, you're basically enabling the educational enterprise by making sure the kids have what they need. Back to Greg's point about Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of need. When you don't have kids with adequate food supplies, you don't have kids who are gonna behave in the classroom, you don't have kids who are gonna learn in the classroom. So you're basically breaking it down. What a lot of schools have gone to is if they can provide free breakfast and free lunch, they are. Mm -hmm. Back to Shane's point, you know, they need to have the numbers to prove that they have essentially levels of food insecurity in that area that will help them get reimbursed because, you know, schools aren't growing money on trees out back, but there are ways that they can get reimbursed for these programs, and that's where they really need to start, is just making sure everyone's on a level playing field. The other part um, that's really important is when you create different um, levels of food, if you will, and mm -hmm. so if you imagine a school lunch cafeteria where some kids are getting a cheese sandwich, but some kids are getting a full meal and the lasagna and the mm -hmm, salad mm -hmm, and whatever mm -hmm. they're you know serving that day, you're really creating um, a stigma around that food. If you can remove that, if you can just treat everyone the same, everyone gets a breakfast, everybody gets a lunch, everybody gets an after-school snack, you're removing that stigma altogether and you're meeting the needs of the entire community. So really, if you think about education as a service, you're meeting the needs of your service community. And that's really where they need to start. Some schools have gone that route to the extent that they're able, 
but it's part of the reason that libraries are also going this route because there's no stigma in the library. In public libraries, everything is free. Everything's given away for free. So grabbing a granola bar is like no different than grabbing a book. Mm -hmm. And you just take what you need and the services are there. So I think moving away from this idea, especially of school lunch debt and school lunch shaming, that's where we need to start. Just answer the question of what you're doing. And so I'm sorry, Greg. No, no, um, just one other thing that struck me, mm -hmm. you know, and part of the reason it struck me was because, you know, I was, reasonably invested for almost a year in mm -hmm. looking into these topics before I realized something very fundamental that's, I think, an important point when we talk about yeah. the othering and the shaming that comes with, like, you know, the free yeah. reduced lunches. <coughs> Every school lunch is subsidized. Yeah. Mm. None of these, yep. in none of these cases, is the student providing the full cost of the meal. It's always subsidized to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, and that's any school lunch program that mm -hmm. you come across. And so that's... I think that's something that's important that a lot of people don't realize. They think, you know, like, you know, I'm not on the free or reduced price school lunch, so my lunch must not be a reduced price. Because, mm -hmm. But that is a bit of a misnomer. That, mm -hmm. you know, looking at the USDA and the way it's set up, it, it is all subsidized. Mm -hmm. um, not, not heavily, but to a degree. And mm -hmm. so it's, you know, it's not a jump going from, you know, this student to that student because right. we're, all on, we're all on the same boat and with right. the same purpose as Sarah was emphasizing. Well, oh, I'm sorry, Shane. I was just going to say, and the numbers to get involved with mm -hmm. either community eligibility, which is where you get uh, free breakfast and lunch for mm -hmm. all of your students, or to be involved in the uh, summer food service program, mm -hmm. the numbers are pretty significant. Yeah. In order to qualify for the summer food service program, you have to have about 50% of your students successfully apply for mm -hmm. free and reduced price lunches. Right. And in order to get community eligibility, and I think I have this number correct, but mm -hmm. I think it's 70% or is it higher? Well, there's a bill in the Senate to bring it down to 40%. So yeah. we might see that lowered, but I think right now it's, it's a little bit lower. But to give you a real life example that's close to us, um, mm -hmm. Newark City Schools are eligible for both breakfast and lunches just based on the surrounding community. And currently I think they have seven sites that are providing breakfast and lunch for kids. Well, I, yeah. that's very interesting. I do want to come back to the idea of yeah. lunch shaming. Yeah. But, um, I'd like to ask a few specific questions um, yeah. to your group. Um, so how did you guys, where, first of all, where are you all based out of? So I am here at Denison, and I'll turn it yes. over. So I, I'm from Newark, um, and basically I'm based out of there, I suppose you would say, uh, today. So we've got two Licking County folks, but right. we're not exclusively. I work out of the Plain City Public Library, just a little bit west of Columbus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of our group, Kate, is from Marysville Public Library, mm -hmm. which is kind of northwest Columbus. And Gina is from Mount Union University, which is up in Alliance, Ohio, northern Ohio. And Janet is from the State Library of Ohio in downtown Columbus. Mm -hmm. So, all right, then let me ask, um, yeah. how, did, how did your group form? I like our formation. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll start and you guys chime Go in. Ahead, so, yes. so Greg and I knew each other before. Um, we work with a group called the Ohio Library Support Staff Institute. And mm -hmm. so we knew each other through kind of um, that, that conference work. And um, Greg came to a meeting and said, hey, there's this opportunity for a leadership institute called iLead. And this is a national institute for librarians to develop leadership skills and to really kind of work on professional development together. He said, you know, do you want to put in an application and do it? And both Greg and I had worked for food pantries here in Licking County, so we knew that we were interested in the idea of food insecurity. 
and there was a whole group forming with Shane and Kate and Gina of course was with us in the Ohio Library Support Staff Institute mm -hmm. and they everyone was interested in different levels um, so we came together through that leadership summit and really kind of created a group that would focus on ways to like we said kind of connect the dots with food insecurity and get more libraries involved so yes and uh, Janet that sixth beetle yeah. um, if you will <laughs> um, she was actually already at the state level <coughs> in kind of a you know she's fantastic mm -hmm. um, and, and she's already in a position where she basically you know she would never say that anything is beneath her mm -hmm. but oh. she was not kind of the prime target audience for that that uh, leadership training because yes. she's already a little further along in her career yeah. in that sense and so yeah. you know we, we always had kind of a target on let's recruit Janet um, <laughs> but we had to wait until we were done with the formal I lead portion of our incubation yeah period. so basically I lead gave us you know um, I think a five thousand um, dollar three three thousand dollar um, grant um, that we could mm -hmm. use to basically do our collaboration um, and from that you know we, we tried we tried basically like our plan is to talk about food security mm -hmm. and talk about the food that with whoever will listen so we can submit some gas bills um, yeah. but you know it doesn't take a lot of money to talk about that and like we don't really need all that stuff so we tried to see if we yeah. could you know do sub grants or something like that oh, to yeah. encourage other people to set up <laughs> you know things to combat food security in their community and you know just kind of uh, pass pass that along for like oh no that's too much um, and then we ended up uh, like well that does, we couldn't quite figure out how to make that work and so we spent it on some fancy marketing yeah um, which which we're still using um, to the best of our ability you know three coming up on we're entering yeah. our fourth year so yeah. And one of the funniest things we learned was, you know, as we went out and we were talking to people and we had this grant funding behind us, we really wanted to help libraries connect the dots. So we're working with a lot of nonprofits and everyone we talked to would not take our money. Oh, yes. So we, had, we, we tried repeatedly. We had people, you know, offering to help us with our website, offering to help us with graphic design, offering to, you know, help us get going. And it was, it was a really positive experience. Yes. But we, we, we couldn't stop people from donating. Um, yeah. their their talents and their time um, to the cause and that was probably the, the least successful portion <laughs> of the whole team build stories was our attempts to to spend money early on that's <laughs> how we ended up with bowling shirts here we go yes. <laughs> that is true let the record show greg is wearing a bowling shirt it's a wonderful shirt it, it is a wonderful they shirt. do yes. serve a purpose however the idea yeah. is i've noticed in uh conferences we've done in the past that mm -hmm. The speakers kind of disappear after they're done talking. Yeah. With these shirts on, somebody can identify us very easily in the crowd, and they can come come at us with follow up questions. We or, don't. We it, don't it, blend. It's bright yeah. yellow and black. I look a little bit maybe like a Wolverine moderation <laughs> sort of thing. You know, it's got my name on it. Um, and we, we've we've yeah. all got a minute. It really has been a good way to make it clear that you are talking to somebody who is a little odd <laughs> and is willing to go out. You know, on, on a, a limb. limb. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. on a limb. Yes, so uh, it yeah. really struck me. I was like, guys, guys, the bowling shirts work. When yeah. um, Jared at Children's Hunger Alliance, yeah. um, the first time he talked to us, which had been, at, you know, about coming somewhere in our second year, yeah. um, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to meeting with you guys because, I, you know, I saw you at your presentation yep. at the uh, Summer Food Service Program Summit. Um, and you know, I, I remember those the your guys in your uniforms and your bowling shirts. And we yeah. said, oh, okay. Well, I guess we've got some brand recognition mm -hmm. now. So yes. there you go from from an organization like Children's Hunger Alliance, which is a fantastic organization yeah. um, that's focused 
on Ohio, just like us. It really is a good collaboration. Well, it um, also makes us stand yeah. out at academic conferences, too, when we're trying to get community colleges and universities involved. Um, yeah, when Shane and Gina and I showed up in our bowling shirts at the, uh, the Ohio Academic Conference, it was, we were unique. Yeah, yeah it, it gives it. We have somehow picked up on people thinking that we're somewhat a professional organization. Or like you, you mentioned, I almost corrected you with the introduction, like you know, saying that we work for Team Bills. Well, I mean, it's it's all volunteer work, you know. Yeah. And th you know, Remembers I would like out. to thank very yeah. much, you know, our employers, you know, those current and those former who would you know help us and let us take the time to do these things, mm -hmm. um, and encourage us. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know this. We're, we're really not professional. I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> we are ourselves. Yeah, but but, it, but it's good because you know yeah. it, it keeps people, keeps uh, people interested, keeps people focused. And at this point, we've got some national organizations that when they talk about these issues, they'll go ahead and give it a little nod to Team Biddles. They'll Absolutely. tag us or whatever, and that's like, wow, what can you do? Just you know. Yeah, and it's amazing to think about this when you kind of think of you know how far we've come. We started in this essentially leadership summit environment and. Um, you know, for anyone who's ever gone through like a leadership uh, training that's really intense, usually, you know, it's days on end where you're um, working with a small cohort, mm -hmm. and it's it's one of those things that's meant to see how well you perform under pressure. And so it's really surprising that our group kind of stayed together. One, because we are a little goofy, but also the you know these aren't really designed to create teams that go forward. So mm. we're one of the few that really hung together and were really dedicated to this and really wanted to keep the movement kind of going. So even though, you know, we went through this entire training together, um, we kind of stuck with it and grew from there, which was one thing I, I, don't know, I found very gratifying out of that start. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so just to clarify a little bit of everything we've talked about, because yeah. a lot has been said, yes. um, <laughs> and I want to make sure the listeners are on track. Yes. Um, you volunteer with Teen Vittles. Um, not work for, volunteer with, Greg. Um, you, which is currently working on helping food insecure uh, people mm -hmm. find food in libraries, public libraries. Mainly public. We also work with campuses that are interested yes. in this. Yeah. Hence, you're at Denison. Not right, that Denison's right. a particularly food insecure area. Well, actually, oh, can, I, can I address that? Yeah, that please. I don't want to take you off your train no, of thought. No, please. But, um, I, I've, I've actually run out of trajectory questions. So oh, well, let us, let us take we're over. We're in uncharted we go. waters. Let's talk about Denison. Uncharted. Yeah, please, actually. Um, well, that's one of the most interesting things working here. So, um, for Sarah's those, made some tea for us. Yeah, so uh, there we Ooh. go. So um, I've been here for about 12 years. Yeah. And Denison has changed a lot, especially in the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. So I've been really privileged to kind of see that change. Um, so quick shout out to our dear president, Adam. He's done a great job. Um, but I think it's really important to realize that, like we were talking about with that idea of stigma, people don't really talk about the fact that they don't have enough to eat. So we all know like friends and students who are like, oh, I only want you know a meal plan with one meal a day or two meals a day, no big deal, right? But when we also talk about financial aid, we need to talk about the fact that that's on top of the scholarships you might get. You may not have enough money for that meal plan, and mm -hmm. that's a reality. So one of the things that Denison has done to reach out is we do have a food pantry that was started by students mm -hmm. here on campus. I think it's really special. It's partnered with the Licking County, it's the Food Pantry Network of Licking County, which I always say backwards, but this is the Food Pantry Network that Greg and I are also involved in. So on the weekends, we volunteer at local food pantries. 
and that's a huge network here in the county and the way that we were able to qualify is looking at the number of students that get Pell Grants and other kinds of aid and really say you know this is a pocket within Granville that really needs some help with food insecurity and so back to Shane's point earlier we need that good data to be able to say okay we qualify for this kind of help and I think it's really important when we see um, we see Denison, we see a college on the hill, and mm -hmm. we have certain ideas about that. Mm -hmm. But it's important to recognize that, especially in recent years, we've really broadened and reached out beyond that kind of idea that we might have in our heads. And we have a lot more support and a lot more that we need to give. And I was really glad to see Denison really answer that call and start up. Yeah. It's another one of those really hidden things. I I graduated from college. I think it's going to be 25 years ago. Just at the right now. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still finding out that some of my, not only just my friends I hung out with, but roommates yeah. were food insecure. They were practically starving during college, and I, I didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. like you, you make the ramen jokes, but I mean, yeah. you know, at, at yeah. the end of the day, like, you know, that, that does impact your performance, and in some Absolutely. cases, it, it gets more serious than you're even willing to joke about. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, we got to realize when we talk about these things, when we look at poverty in America, the poverty line is a very, very low um, amount of income. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had brought statistics with me today, but I think for a family of four, it's something like 24000 a year. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us in libraries started working in libraries in college. I was one of those people. I worked part-time. I ended up working, by my senior year, I was working four part-time jobs to make ends meet. It was insane. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't realize is a lot of these programs, they say, okay, we're gonna take you at 200% of the poverty line. If you make less than 200% of whatever we call the poverty line, so again, in the US, let's say a family of four might be 24,000, so let's say 50,000 would be 200%. You qualify for these kinds of food um, insecurity, these food help programs. Mm -hmm. So when I went back and looked at that, I qualified almost all of my working career, um, oh, I don't know, the first 10 years out of college and had no idea any of this was available because no one talked about it. Everybody made jokes like we're all working these crazy jobs and we got the side hustle and we're doing the thing and blah, blah, blah. But it was essentially just working for nonprofits, working low paying jobs, working part time jobs. And it was really, really difficult. And when I think back, like all the things that I could have done had I had more stability, it would have been absolutely amazing. So it's, it's a reality that we just don't address and we don't address it well. Do you feel that society kind of makes it a taboo to ask for help? Very much so. Oh. And what we hear in libraries, which being in a library is such a privileged position because you are not a, you're not a figure of authority, you're not there um, passing judgment on anyone, and everything is free. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come and talk to you about their hopes and their dreams and their fears, and it's a very open environment. Yeah. And what we hear from a lot of patrons, you know, public libraries, academic libraries, it doesn't matter, you know, they really feel like they can't ask for help, they can't take charity, and there's a huge stigma about that, even though if they realize, you know, the, especially the food pantries, this food is coming from the USDA, essentially you're redistributing what farmers have in excess. So it's a good thing all around when you think about the way we grow food, which is a whole other conversation, but we end up with these pockets and we need the logistics in place to move the food around to the people who need it. And this is essentially one program that does that, but people still see it as a handout and they don't want to ask for that handout and there's a whole bunch of stigma surrounding it. It's really, really difficult to address. And the layers of stigma, like it, it goes deeper, I think even than you know, having asking for help being stigmatized, but even thinking about yourself as a person who may need help. Right. And we see this in a lot of areas, you know, from mental health mm -hmm. to all, all sorts of things. Yeah. You know, but that's another factor with yeah. food. You think like, you know, 
I couldn't possibly, you know, go to the food pantry right. because, you know, I'm taking that food from someone else who needs it more, more, more than I mm-hmm. do. And, you know, what you don't want to do is waste. You know, don't go to the food pantry if you're not going to use it. You know, right. don't go to the store if you're not going to use it. Don't go to a <laughs> restaurant if you're not going to use it. You know, that's true of any of any food in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, because all food has a shelf life, mm-hmm. and so you know, yeah. use it if you take it. You know, just be be mindful. I um, mean, you know, we're sitting in the mindfulness, mindfulness room. Mindfulness you know, is appropriate. Once it kind of, mm-hmm. you know, once it leaves the stalk, once it's harvested, yeah. You know, food with the you know exception like. Theoretically, I, th- I think of honey. I've heard things that honey can basically. Oh, I thought about Twinkies. But yeah. Well, okay. Okay. Honey and Twinkies. You know, yeah. Apart from honey-covered Twinkies, um, food has a timer on it, mm-hmm. and you know the okay. the ultimate goal and the way food security will be solved. Um, you know, we 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 work to grow more food. We work to grow better food. You know, we've got all these things that you go back and forth about the best ways to do that. But when you go fundamentally look at it, you say, okay. You know, we need to make sure mm-hmm. that all of the food that is produced mm-hmm. is used yeah. and none of it's wasted. That's kind, that's kind of the core of how you address food security. Mm-hmm. Now, that gets to be a bit of a boring question because that the answer to that is not, you know, you go find the mustache twirling, you know, maybe top hat wearing <laughs> villain to, you know, that's keeping people from eating food. It's mainly yeah. a logistical question and it's one of the biggest logistical questions possible because again it's mm-hmm. a daily need for everyone like you know thank goodness oxygen kind of naturally yeah, makes its way out there and you know people you know you know uh, you know typically we don't have struggles with the distribution of oxygen although you yeah. can certainly look at the distribution of co2 and see struggles there and so maybe you can get an idea of how hard some of these big big picture things can become mm-hmm. um but with food, you know, it doesn't naturally move from farm to table. And so yeah. you've got to figure out how do we work to get the food to people and to get people mm-hmm. to the food. I know there are logistics. There's, mm-hmm. there's costs to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Team Vittles, you know, we, we work to try and make, keep those networks going and keep those yeah. networks growing as well. And so one thing I want to mention here, um, don't see this as something that doesn't apply to you. You mm-hmm. know, if you qualify and can mm-hmm. benefit from whatever programs you're aware of, mm-hmm. um, you know, be it from the food mm-hmm. pantry to, you know, there are like produce carts or things like that, yeah. um, to, you know, free or reduced lunch programs, things like that. You know, anything that you're aware of, you know, if, if you can benefit from that additional support, mm-hmm. don't be shy about it. Don't beat yourself up over it. You know, go ahead and take care of that aspect too of your life, just like you would take care of anything else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're worried that, you know, you taking from that bucket means that there's less in that bucket, then what you should do as you're available is work out how you can help refill that bucket, you know, Mm -hmm. um, as you're able. And, you know, that's not always going to be with finances. That's not always going to be with your time. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, it it varies from individual Mm -hmm. to individual what your needs are and what you're able to give. Um, in all the different forms that those things can take. And so just be consciously a part mm-hmm. of the the network <coughs> that we all have, just sharing as humans on Earth mm-hmm. and animals too, frankly, with, with a need for food that we eat, just taking care of our bodies. And if you want to look at it from a very strictly sort of a 
bottom dollar line. Mm -hmm. Just remember that by helping yourself now, you're increasing all of your own outcomes as you move forward into society. And by having better outcomes for yourself, it provides better outcomes for those around you too. So you're essentially you're essentially paying it forward to yourself and everyone else yes. at the same time by just meeting your own needs. You gotta put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's where we really have to change the conversation away from stigma and towards this idea of just taking care of your entire self holistically and that gives back to the society at large and feeds in feeds back into all these networks that help everybody. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Um, well, I, I think we need to give props where we have it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think also you brought up a great point, Adam, because um, when people have an idea about food insecurity in general, they're typically not thinking of college campuses. No. And we are making ramen jokes, you know, oh, those were the days we lived off of tuna fish and ramen or whatever. You know, and it's you hear that all the time, and I think it's really good to hear that in a, a realistic manner because all of these things are so hidden and we, we simply don't... Um, we don't address them and they're not in our radar. And just like Greg was saying earlier, if you don't see it, you're not gonna address it. So there's that idea what gets measured gets managed. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, but. I I have heard that actually. Yeah, I I think it's really, really important in these situations. So what we're seeing in higher ed now is more and more universities, um, especially community colleges, but colleges of all shapes and sizes are really addressing food insecurity and they're saying, okay, we know this is happening on our campus. How do we move out and how do we support it? And it's hitting on all the topics that you brought up. It's hitting on stigma, it's hitting on need, it's hitting on this general idea that this is your time in your life when you know, you're not gonna have to worry about these kinds of things and that's, it's amazing to hear the stories come out of it, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I have two more questions Please. before we can start winding down because Sarah, I know you have a deadline. Oh, sorry. Um, and we've been talking for 36 minutes already. <laughs> wow, um, we're talkative. Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, you are actually, and there are three of you, um, yes. and one of me. But I do have, it's funny because this is the second time in this show that someone has brought up the ramen noodle jokes. That mm-hmm. is uh, a quote I found on your websites in one of your blog posts. Yeah. Um, you guys do run a website. Mm-hmm. I'll be sure to attach a link to it in this podcast. Um, but y'all wrote a book. We did. Tell us about your book. <laughs> we did. It was really fun. So we had some time, and... Uh, I actually, um, again, blessings to Denison, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I had a sabbatical coming up, and we knew this work was ongoing, and we wanted to put something together. So I spent the time writing a book for Teen Vittles, and it's um, it's been a really neat idea. So what we decided to do is we put all the content up for free on our website. So we're doing a series of posts that is the book content, and that'll go up throughout this year. So we'll have lots more to share, and that's been a really, really fun experience, I think, for all of us. So um, Greg and Shane have both helped me with editing, which is very, very much appreciated and such a long process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been really great, and it keeps these conversations going. And again, our focus is on helping libraries get involved in this. And so what's really important for libraries is to have easy access to accurate information, hopefully for free. So that's what we're providing through the website, is lots of ways to connect. Yeah. All right, and then yeah. my last question. Um, so bearing in mind that obviously poverty and food insecurity are generational issues that are unfairly stigmatized Mm -hmm. in the united states and other areas but it feels like the united states especially um what do you see as being short-term long-term solutions to these issues 
Shane. We were talking a little bit about this earlier. Uh, if we've got six hours, <laughs> we can make this happen. But uh, yeah. something came across my Twitter feed. I think it was from Ohio Policy Matters. Yeah. They were talking about how if in Ohio the uh, minimum wage had kept pace with inflation, this is based on 1968, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the minimum wage in Ohio would be $12 now. I think it's currently, is it $8? It's $8.10, I feel like. Yeah. It, yeah. So essentially right now we have a number of people living on about two-thirds of what mm -hmm. they would have been making mm -hmm. 50 years ago. Yeah. And mm -hmm. when you think of the price of everything over the last 50 years, yeah. And that that is part of what feeds it. Once once you're stuck in that cycle, as we mm -hmm. said, it's just, it's got a lot of tentacles. Mm -hmm. And once one piece starts to fall apart, whether it's your car, your health, your education, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it just starts pulling in. It's got gravity. It holds you for this mm -hmm. generation. Then your kids will come up through mm -hmm. that same, that in that same cycle, and it, it gets harder and harder to break out of the more generations down the road you are. Absolutely, and some of the research is showing like that accumulated anxiety is almost creating PTSD symptoms is, I, as the generations progress. And it's, it, generational poverty in itself is just, it's it's almost like another web, but the anti-web. It doesn't, it doesn't really help anyone move up, and it brings everybody down and back into that cycle, which is just not sustainable. Well, and I'm remembering, and I don't remember how many years it is either. I'm sorry, Sarah. Okay. Um, I'm playing with a stress ball they gave me uh, <laughs> prior to the start of the show. I forget how many years it is, but it's an inappropriate amount of years mm -hmm. uh, that you need to actually go without a major expense, like a medical yes. visit, a car breaking down, um, the the grief, um, yep. which Shane and I are currently experiencing in a limited <laughs> form, before you can actually be considered to have saved enough money to have gotten out of yeah. the cycle of poverty. Yeah. I wanted to say 20 years, but that feels too long. Well, actually, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, based on what I see at the local food pantry, I work at one in downtown Newark, and um, usually you see three generations before mm -hmm. you see movement out of the cycle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're that's going to be at least 45 to 60 years, <laughs> yeah. depending on how you're defining your generations. But we see a lot of multi-generational households that, like Shane said, you know, we've got a lot of people who are working jobs. They might be working full-time, but they're working at such a low wage that you simply can't save. And it's without these support networks, without these extra kind of supplemental um, programs in place, you really can't meet your daily needs. And even when you're in some of these programs, yeah. some of the programs have very specific qualifications that prevent you from saving mm -hmm. to avoid getting, uh, to allow you to get out of the cycle. So it's a double whammy. Like one that we talk about a lot is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, mm -hmm. which is what we all think of as food stamps. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some, you can't save up a ton of money if you have access to SNAP benefits. So SNAP essentially helps you out um, on your grocery bill mm -hmm. and it gives you um, it supplements your grocery bill in a lot of ways. So it, you're allowed to buy um, edible items and you basically swipe your SNAP card and those are covered under the program. But mm -hmm. if you have a lot in savings, you can get kicked off the program. Same thing with elders um, in certain medical programs. If you have, I think it's over $2,400 in savings, you can get kicked off some of those That's programs. Right? So we think either. about like, what was the last car repair you had to pay? Like how many hundreds of dollars yeah. was that? So you, it's a you, lot just to have tires replaced. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so if you think about that, you can't save up for that expense. You have to keep your income below a certain amount to get this supplemental help. But at the same time, once you go over these amounts, you miss all the supplemental help. So let's say I'm a single mom, we're making this up guys, but let's say I'm a single mom with three kids. Mm -hmm. I might get $200 a month extra on my SNAP card. Now what happens when I make too much money to no longer get that? Do you think I'm really gonna make $200 extra a month? that's gonna cover those SNAP benefits? Probably not, I'm probably gonna get a $100 raise, maybe. Maybe. You know, because you're thinking about this on a monthly income basis, right? So then I still don't have money to fix my car. I don't have money to get a new car. I don't have money to pay for my kids to play in soccer. You know, and these are all these real life things that happen, so it keeps people within the system, staying within the system, not breaking out of it, and then we have all of these dynamics that we tie into generational poverty that are just so difficult to deal with. Um. So with that, I yeah. am I am out of questions. I wanted to ask either if, you know, because we've talked about a lot of things in not a lot of time, and I wanted to know if there's anything else that you all want me to cover, if there's anything about Team Vittles especially you want to cover, um, or if not, um, we could end on a lighter note. Um, and Shane, you could tell us about your presentation <laughs> that we were talking about before this started. Well, uh, you know, I, I, can, can I can I give an email? Please. Oh, yes, yeah, please. I, I'm sure you can put it in the show notes. Please. But um, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure you could email Sarah. You can email yeah. Shane. I'm sure if you know Kate or Gina or whoever. Um, but you know, I'll just go ahead and give my email since yeah. it's my email to give. It's uh, g r e g g at t e a m v i t t l e s dot org so that's greg at teambills.org if you yep. have any follow-up questions or if you want to know like you know how you might be able to get involved locally or you know more at more of a distance i've helped people try and figure out how to get involved you know in other states um just that's what the email is for mm -hmm. yeah. um and i'll you know i want to hear about shane's presentation oh. yeah. so. oh, let's yeah. do that. one other let's thing before we get going yeah. is yeah. if you want to get involved. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways you can get involved in helping libraries do summer food service Absolutely. or other programs. A lot of times libraries are understaffed like so many other nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And if you want to volunteer with a library to help start or continue a summer food after school snack program kind of thing, that's great. Um, there's a program, I think it's through AmeriCorps. Yeah, AmeriCorps where, does that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Ohio, in Ohio it's called ShareCorps, mm -hmm. and it specifically lines AmeriCorps volunteers up with summer food service programs. Mm -hmm. So if you have interest in getting involved in something like that, that would be a good program to look at. And I should just mention what that looks like on a daily basis is serving food to kids in community settings. So at a park, at a rec center, at a library, something like that, um, and helping with you know serving the food, cleanup, and educational events for kids. So that could be anything from a rec league to story time, you know, all sorts of things. But those are available all over the state. And just real quick on those like recreational events that accompany. Part of the purpose of that is so that it's not just like you know, they used to call it like a, a feeding site, like almost right. like a cattle sort of deal. Yes. Like this is like the utilitarian, like you know, we'll get the the livestock come over here and we'll feed them sort of thing so it's you know you want to have that enrichment programming when you're distributing food because then it really does help with the stigma because you're no longer you know cattle mm -hmm. going to a feeding site mm -hmm. you're, you're going you know, to play on a the family team going or, to go yeah. see a science demonstration right. put on by the library where there also happen to be sandwiches mm -hmm. yeah you know so 
Yeah. That, that's critical aspect. So it's not always just giving out food. You know, if you want help in any other way, or if you're a musician and wanted to put on a little show, mm-hmm. check and see if there's yeah. anything that you can do to help with the food security aspect as well. Yeah. Huh. Now back to the presentation. Yeah. Yes. Please, we have a is we have it, a minute or two. Is it famous? Is it infamous? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's but infamous in our group. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed hearing about it. <laughs> During our leadership institute, uh, they gave us a project. Uh, I, I've, I've heard it pronounced a million different ways. I think Sarah knows the actual uh, pronunciation. We Pe- call it the Pikachu. Yes, but it's it's actually called Pecha Kucha, and it's a way of doing um, presentations within a set amount of time. Mm-hmm. And there's a format so that your presentation keeps flowing really smoothly. So the point of this for our group was to learn how to give very um, good, flowing, engaging presentations. But then Shane scared us. <laughs> he loved to show us his first slide. <laughs> what was your first slide, Shane? <laughs> well, our presentation was supposed to be on a website or mm-hmm. a piece of technology that we used. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I gave everyone the first slide for my presentation, which was a picture of Pornhub. <laughs> So I let them sweat for like a week until the presentation. What it was, was I had a piece of software I would use at home. At the time we went through this leadership institute, I had children who were just starting to branch out and live their own life online. Mm -hmm. So I had a piece of software that works as content filtering, Mm -hmm. and I decided to use that. It also happened to have some added functionality Mm because it was designed as a recovery tool for people with uh, pornography addiction. So anyway, I did I did my presentation in a very irreverent fashion <laughs> to a bunch of librarians, guys. These were all librarians in the room watching this. But uh, I think it was either right before or right after that is where my new nickname came from. <laughs> Shane Wow. They started calling me Shane Wow because I had a tendency to just sort of erupt into a scene and <laughs> steal. Steal the light from yeah. the other people, or I also have a tendency to be the person who will go out and make that phone call to mm-hmm. the group or person who has absolutely no business returning my phone call. <laughs> but they and do. You would but not believe reason. his hit rate on that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how he got us in touch with uh, the director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks, if I recall. Yeah, that was when a I spoke with the person several levels above me at. at uh, my food pantry experience, you know, he, he mentioned like, well, you could, you could call Lisa, you know, they'd probably get her assistant. You know, Shane, next I know, he was having us co-presenting something that Lisa was hosting. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, that was when we went and spoke to ODJFS. Yeah, we did a, Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. We reached out, we got a Children's Hunger Alliance, the Ohio mm-hmm. Association of Food Banks, the State Library, and I can't remember if we had one other group or not. I think there were only four of us. I'm just thinking, like, the moral of this story is... Don't be afraid to reach out. I, people people want to make this problem go away, and they're always looking for partners. Everybody's understaffed. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has big dreams, big goals, and we're all working together to make this happen. I mean, so. that's the yeah. tagline, right? Like, you know, Pornhub, put yourself out there. Yeah. You I know? think that's a good place to stop. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Doobie listeners, this has been Team Vittles with uh, Shane Hoffman, which I remembered and said first. Uh, Greg Gassman and Sarah Schaff. I'm Adam Venrick, and this has been the Coffee Hour. We'll return this time next week. Uh, This is Adam for the Doobie, signing off.
Just as a quick uh, disclaimer, uh, one statistic that was referenced during this episode was that was something about the cycle of poverty taking about 20 years to break and I said I didn't know if that was verifiably true obviously there are various different economic opinions about it but there is uh, I would like to cite an article on citylab.com from 2017 by Gillian B. White which in fact is called escaping poverty requires almost 20 years with nearly nothing going wrong that was team Vittles. If you are interested in reaching out to them, Greg left his email. I will be posting it as well as their website link when I post this show on the blog. And I will return next week, Doobie listeners, as a reminder. Please be careful. It is the middle of February and very...